Welcome to our first podcast in a series on Model-Based Systems Engineering, or MBSE. We are joined by our moderator, Nick Finberg of Siemens Global Marketing, interviewing our expert, Tim Kinnam, Vice President of Trending Solutions and Global Program Lead for Systems Digitalization at Siemens Digital Industries Software. Join us in learning how the aerospace and automotive industries are adopting MBSE to further the evolution of digitalization. So, Tim, I've been hearing a lot of model-based systems engineering as a concept, starting to emerge as a sort of predecessor to PLM and other management workflows, and a lot of different people are talking about it. The aerospace and automotive industries are the most prominent, but energy utilities and other medical companies are looking at adoption. MBSE seems like a hot topic. Why might a company want to embrace it? Well, Nick, model-based has been around for a long time. We've, in many of the paths that we've moved from a specification or a document-based view, the move to models have allowed us to work more collaborative together to simulate, to really digitalize a lot of this information. So as we have historically moved from drawings to to 3D models, to production models, model-based systems engineering is just another continuation of that that allows us now to move out of documents into models that represent the scope of the product, the the behavior of the product that drives the the physical implementation. So it's an evolution and a continuation of a digitalization activity that's been going on for years, actually. Okay. So there are a lot of other ways to say model-based, the model-based design, model-based simulation. Are those all the same? Well, model-based, as I said, model-based says that I have something that I can represent in a digital way that I can repeat or collaboratively simulate. So it's a model. And just as we've had geometric models, we're now in in the systems area of how we want to build models. And those models could be models that represent a requirements. It could be a a functional view, meaning that I have an ability to decompose behavior. Uh, It could be a simulation model. So the modeling in its traditional form, but in the context now of a systems definition, which is representing parameters and requirements and, and functional behavior. Okay. So systems, that's a broad term. Can we ground that in something a little bit more tangible, say a car? How would you start defining the systems? Yeah, from an overall system, you would say the system represents all of the elements of the vehicle. Right. So now that could have subsystems. You could have a a braking system. You could have an infotainment systems. Those become subsystems that are working together, but still within the context of a singular system definition. And typically, you know, a system is something that is being contained or represented in more of a singular product view. So it has a life cycle. It has uh, an operational view. It has a geographical usage view. So a system is in many ways self-contained to all of the requirements, the behavior, the system engineering models, but also now connecting into all of the other subsystems that could be an electrical subsystem. It could be a, the braking or hydraulic system. It really ties it all together in a more singular product definition. Okay. So it sounds like it's more of a collaborative process amongst everyone. You have people working on the infotainment systems. You have people working on the mechanical systems. How do they work together? Well, they're all now working toward a common goal, right? So if we look at the past, the past was very mechanical driven. So you had things that were more around kinematics, things that were more around structural elements. And even in those days, they were working together because there's mating conditions, there, there's collision, but it was all geometric. 
Now the dependencies are being viewed as interfaces. It could be signals, right? The things that are now connecting these engineering teams together are no longer only physical. It could be elements, like I said, of a, a network that sends signals throughout the system where the now the partners are needing to interact with one another. You know, an example of a vehicle, go back to automotive. You have a sensor, which is a physical thing, but it picks up an incoming signal. Now I need to transfer that across a network in the vehicle. And as I transfer that to the network in the vehicle, there is an ECU, there's a board somewhere that's listening for that signal. And as it picks up that signal, it knows that it needs to take an action because that is the actuator that understands to do work. And now that will physically enable the physics element of a braking system. So now I've just tied together a sensor that now it mechanically picks up or electronically picks up the signal, transfers that through an internet type connection within the vehicle to another device that is listening. And the software then triggers an action to a physical braking of the vehicle. So all those things are tying together the mechanical, electrical, electronic, and software to enable that function. Okay. So everyone's working together for the entire process. That sounds like it's a little bit different than how validation works right now in most of these industries. They kind of do all their work. They know generally where they are working on the project together, but then they hit a point where they just start connecting everything. Is this the major point of change for MBSE? Well, I think one of the major points of change is now, again, it's no longer physical. If we look at how people work together before, you know, oftentimes you would find the failure after the product was built. Or then you thought, well, let me be smarter and I'll start doing prototype, physical prototypes to find the failure before I release the product. And then people progress to get even smarter yet again and says, well, let me now digitize this and let me do simulations before I do the physical build. But now we inject software into this conversation. And now the software part is driving what the physics behavior will result in, which means that I now need to think much, much, much earlier around not just the structural elements of what I'm building or the physical elements of what I'm building, but what is the operational or the system's behavior that's going to drive how it reacts to the operator or how it reacts to its environment. So the need for verification is much more critical now because I have many more paths through a software logic that is being also impacted to how the physics of the physical will behave as the software is being triggered. This speaks to the the running example of automotive, but it could also speak to the electrification of airplanes. So there's a lot of changes in how stuff is being designed in the aircraft or the automobile. Software is definitely part of it. But how do you make sure the requirements from maybe government institutions or the public sector, how does that get managed? Well, there's an information explosion is one thing. I think if you're talking about the management of the information and the coordination across people, yeah, you need an information management system now more than ever because the volume of information needed and the volume of information that's being tracked is much higher now than it has been before coupled with the complexity of the product is much, much higher. So there's, to answer your question, I think there's different paths, there's different approaches. But if we just think about, you know, program plan and execution, there's one element that says from concept through final release, I have the need to organize people through a life cycle of maturity from the beginning when I start my concept 
to how I release. So how I'm managing data and people typically is through some type of program organization, event gates. And those event gates, I then tie to how am I verifying progress relative to my delivery. And when I'm verifying, I could be verifying against a scope of requirements that sometimes maybe the requirements are measurable very early. There may be other more complex types of functions that are being developed where those are not coming together or integrated until much later in the product cycle. And so then I'll have additional event gates that I will be measuring to those integrated functions, to those integrated functions that work together and satisfy that requirement. And so ideally over this course of time, you're orchestrating actions to the engineering teams, you're measuring their progress relative to the requirements through some verification and simulation results. You're progressing all the way to the point of final verification and validation that you can show that you've closed by test to all those requirements that have been noted that represent the product definition. I can now show that I've achieved all of my requirements, whether it's functional, non-functional, performance, or safety. So there's a lot of things going on to keep all the people connected together. And again, some of that is optimizing at the information level. Other elements were optimizing at the cross-engineering and the development activity. How is security of these devices changing now that there's so much software and a lot of them are being connected to the internet, how does that play into MBAC? Well, that's the connected is the key point. So anytime you are connected, it's an opportunity for someone else to do negative things. It's whether it's in your internet at home, your computer, we all have situations where things have been hacked. Same thing happens to connected products. Now you have to think about how you are connected. And there are certain protocols that are related to the signal coming to the connected device that are trying to prevent that. And there are other elements that inside of the product that you're engineering, you have to think about requirements in the context of threats. So we have capabilities now where when we are modeling the behavior, when we're thinking about that product definition, we're building in requirements that deal with threats for the connected product. And then we mitigate that through engineering actions that may have to either put certain elements in place that can prevent piracy, prevent attacks, but you start putting mitigation elements as part of your safety and quality that are directly related to how you counter the threats of the connected product. So you've talked quite a bit about aerospace and automotive. Are there any other areas or industries that are kind of seeing this transition and realizing that it's something they need? Yeah, about every industry now, it's it seems, because the blur is there. Anytime you're doing automation, more and more people are looking for the ability to take human operational behavior and transition that to automation. So one example that you know we're, we're thinking about or, or people are actually doing is in healthcare. Imagine that you have a, uh, a medical device, uh, maybe it's a scanning imaging type of machine, and normally, when you have a person in there, there is a, a technician that is calibrating the machine to the person that's set, doing a setup to make sure that everything is done in the appropriate way. Now, imagine instead of having a technician, you have sensors, and the sensors have automated that, and I'm now able to have a move of an operational behavior to a system behavior because of that transition. So, you know, that's that's one example, and there are plenty of other examples in the industrial area where you know, we may have uh, material transport robots, for example, in a factory. We've seen examples where factory automation is showing material moving around the plant, but typically 
it's a very direct line. You go f- along a path from point A to point B, and more and more manufacturing is looking at uh, material delivery, much the way uh, commercial automotive is looking at autonomous vehicles, providing the sensors and the intelligence that a material delivery can move throughout a plant, recognizing obstacles, but without having a, a rigid path for delivery, but instead finding the most efficient route through the plant. That's another example. That sounds a little bit like what's happening in the automotive industry right now. Does MBSE play a role in maybe mitigating some of that delay that's happened with computer chips? Maybe holding stuff in stock a little bit longer, similar to what Toyota's done? Yeah, I don't know if this helps in just-in-time inventory. I mean, just-in-time inventory in many ways is a, is a physical thing. But on the counter to that, the material delivery is now moving in a different way. So imagine that the physical element is already there, but the software element is rapidly changing. So one thing that MBSE is impacting is things like over-the-air updates. Right now, you see that all the time in a in your cell phone. Your, your cell phone is asking you to do an update because it's providing additional either additional security or it's providing additional features. Now, imagine that's a vehicle or an industrial machine that says, the physics are the same, but I detected a bug in the software. And so I can over-the-air update, a software update to that device, same as I would to my cell phone, the same analogy would hold true. I no longer am dependent on a supply chain to deliver a fix or an update, but instead I'm able to deliver that fix or update through an over-the-air action seamlessly to that smart product. Would that include some amount of variance control? So you have so many different models of car. It absolutely would, and it's even more granular than that. It would go down to the particular ECU, probably would even get down to the VIN number of the vehicle to know that Oh wow! it, it would get down to, I know that I have this software update that affects this ECU in this particular model this year. So to get all those things lined up, you may have a, a VIN type of arrangement that says, yeah, this software update goes to this class of vehicles that have all these VIN elements in common. And then I have to then know that I've shipped a software update that could be I'd say it could be like a tolerance stack up where if I have, let's say I have 200 ECUs in the vehicle, which is not uncommon, and I have a software update that on the first day goes to one ECU and on the 10th day goes to a different ECU, and on the 30th day, yet another ECU, it's possible, right? It's possible that you also have to track which update went to which vehicle on which day because you may find out that there is some interaction between those. So it, it gets somewhat complicated, but it's a real situation. And Tesla is probably the best example in the vehicle space where Tesla has been able to manage that effectively in how they're delivering over their updates while also maintaining quality control over the behavior that would result thereafter. But I think in automotive in general, more and more commercial vehicle companies are being pressed to move to over their updates rather than the traditional service visit when you need to do those types of updates. What's the difference between systems engineering and systems of systems engineering? Yeah, when we look at, let's go back to the vehicle when we talked about that as a system, right? That a collection of subsystems, it's contained. You know, the vehicle is a unit. It has a life cycle. It has evolutionary development. The subsystems may be on different behaviors, but nonetheless, it is a system. Now, the system, the system is connecting, as it sounds, multiple systems together. So now imagine a vehicle operating, but it's now also connected and communicating to a satellite. And the satellite potentially is given it navigation, likely if it's autonomous. 
And then that satellite is connected to yet another ground station, which is gathering information. So as those individual systems, the thing about each system is that it has operational independence. It lives and it runs on its own. It has evolutionary cycle on its own. You know, I could have a vehicle or a satellite or a ground station that is evolving in its own engineering cycle. So there's independence. And there's this idea of emergent behavior that when put together, when multiple systems that are independent, but yet operating together as systems of systems, there's a resulting behavior that results only by the combination of those systems working in concert. And in military, a similar example is very prevalent in thinking about things like radar systems that then need to connect to a ground station that could initiate a rocket or a missile response. There's a lot of military applications and systems of systems, even with all of this connected to uh, even flight vehicles or drones. But the the main part of systems of systems is that we're now taking individual systems, connecting them, which they're operationally and evolutionary de- independent, connecting those now together as a coordinated interaction that results in an outcome that would only be viable when connecting those systems together in a systems of systems result. Thanks for talking to me, Tim, today. Uh, it's been, I'll have a lot of homework for, before the next episode. <laughs> Thank you for joining us in our first podcast of this series on model-based systems engineering. Please join us in the forthcoming second part of this series to learn more about the evolutionary concepts of this technology.